It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no sheets. The land of fucking with the fear fight down, like fire in a fire. Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, you were sure you down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. <laughs> and a little bit of bloom. Just a little bit of bloom today. Just a little bit. Just, Just a little, little bit. bit. Well, hell, friends and neighbors, <laughs> welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a wonderland of wisdom in a worrisome world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. <laughs> My co-conspirator here yes, is... Nurse Amy. <laughs> yes, and she is... Actually, Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the gang of two. We are the prodigious pair, the beauty, and the beast. Although if anybody ever calls you a beast, I <laughs> uh, will kill them. That's right. <coughs> and we're here to help you keep we're it. We're here, still coughing. Yes, and oh we're here to gosh. help you keep it together. Even if everything else falls apart. That's yeah. right. Well, I'm mostly back to normal, but you seem to have a little bit of a cough still. I think I cough like 10 times for every one time you cough. I know. I'm what about that? getting better slower than you. Isn't that funny? And That's I was terrible. I have a horrible. Noob I know. I, have I got a, sick. But you know what it is? You got a fever. That's why you got better faster. You think that the a, fever? Absolutely. Well, it could be. I do have a tendency to get temperatures, so it is uh, a little weird. I'm sure it's going to be the end of me at one point well, or another. You know what? You say you get temperatures, but you have a temperature. Yes. Oh, right. At all times. What you I get is fever. fevers. Fever. Now, interestingly <laughs> enough, the actual medical definition of an actual fever of a significant fever is 38 degrees centigrade or 100.4 degrees fahrenheit but below that they don't really consider you to have any significant know, type of fever funny? which is funny because you can feel really miserable at 100.3 oh yeah absolutely or if someone like me runs 97.4 if i get up to over 99 i'm not feeling well that's right. You know, two yeah, degrees too. higher than yep. what I run. Yeah, I'm about 98.0 for my normal. So you're right. And if I'm in 99, there's definitely something going on. Absolutely. Friends and neighbors, have you been <laughs> injured in an accident with an effeminate elephant? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and her samey. 
and listen to this. Absolutely. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when the zombies are roaming the streets, when the super flu is making you blue, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Come on, take a little time and effort to prove to the world you got more sense than a dresser full of dry cleaning by (laughs) learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits. And while you're at it, doesn't it just make common sense, really, folks, to get some (laughs) supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? I sure think so. And what better place to get it than the beautiful Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They will help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits, I dare you, for (laughs) contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anyone who's ever bought one of our kits, and you'll agree ours are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That's pretty obvious. So go ahead <laughs> and get moving, Reuben. Reach out to old Dr. Bones, the lovely nurse <coughs> Amy. Here it's Excuse so me. easy. Oh it's so gosh. easy. Oh, and nurse Amy's I'm here so to coffee, tell you how. I'm so coffee. So <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Well, you'll get I'm through. so coffee. I'm singing my song. Oh, so okay. coffee. Right. <laughs> I have some coffee right here, actually. That's true. Cup. We do have coffee. And we're coughing. All right. So how can you reach us? <laughs> <laughs> Old sick people. <laughs> well, you can write to us at yes. drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Me- Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Or our Facebook page is kind of a central place to go. That's Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. Oh, and thanks to the folks at KYH Utah for picking up our Survival Medicine Hour. Also to our friends at Prepper Broadcasting, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Center, and all the other great networks that carry our program. And don't forget our other podcasts, American Survival Radio, all about current events with a practical perspective, but some opinions. So watch out there. Uh, American Survival Radio is now in KFAR, Fairbanks, KRFE, Lubbock, WNAE, Pennsylvania, KPJC, Oregon, and other fine stations throughout the U.S. of A. In the news, a mentally disturbed man entered a South Florida high school and killed at least 17 people, mostly teenagers, with an AR-15 rifle. At present, at least a dozen people are still in the hospital, and many of them, well, I don't know, some of them at least, are in critical condition. 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz was expelled from the school some time ago for erratic and violent behavior, apparently had possession of rifle rounds in his backpack. He was reported to have a major obsession with guns, which he sort of fleshed out in his social media posts, which were thought to be disturbing by most of the people that 
watched them or that read them. The gunman also had scores of run-ins with law enforcement that date all the way back to 2010, which is saying something because the guy's only 19 years old, uh, with one report saying the sheriff's deputies had to respond to his house more than 35 times in just Are six years. Are you kidding me? Years. I, did not, I didn't know this. You have not yeah. shared this information yeah, 35 with 35 times, <gasps> uh, 36 times actually in total in just six years. Broward County Sheriff's oh deputies received at least 36 911 calls. 911 calls from the house where the teenager lived with his younger brother and their adoptive mother. And that was reported by BuzzFeed. The, so my question is, like, I just want to back up to his background a little bit. Um, his adopted mother passed away three months ago. Right. She was older. Okay. His parents were apparently were adopted and, parents and were older. And his adopted father died 13 years ago, mm-hmm. I heard. Right. But how did he end up getting adopted? Do you, Does anyone know what happened to his original parents? You know, was he I... given up as a child or was he given up as a infant? He has a younger brother, and they were together. It sounds to me like they That's a good were question. taken out of the house for some reason or given up at not not right. a, an infant age. Right. I, he's it older, makes sense because if they do that with two, first off, this he has a younger brother. So that means saying. that he was not a newborn. Maybe he's two obviously. or three at least. Yeah. So he he was younger it was his father died his adoptive father died at age six therefore it was if it was 13 years ago so we don't know how long he was in that household so he was adopted at what age right exactly but obviously since earlier than six yeah but, but he had to be at least two or three two or three somewhere between two or three younger and, brother and to have six. gone with him how about that for detective work yes huh? we that's what i'm always thinking you are <clears> incredible but i wonder what happened with his original parents? Yeah, we'll have to find out. Obviously, I haven't heard he anything about up, that. Yeah, obviously given up. Um, it, it, well, it's a sad state of affairs. It's, it's sadder for his victims, obviously. Oh, well, something got messed up with him super early. If he was having this much difficulty so young for so many years, it, I, how did someone not intervene with all these 911 calls? At what point do you say this kid is really messed up and we need to take him out of the house and we need to get him some true mental help? Baker Act him. Okay, we'll talk about Baker Act in in a second. I want to just talk about what the calls were like. So the the calls were dated dated back, I said, uh, as far back as 2010. They shed a light on on, apparently two, but both he and his brother were erratic and violent they repeatedly threw items were out of control fought with their mother all the time and each other apparently on a, on a regular basis and this kid uh cruz the actual gunman was apparently also cutting his arms uh, probably to get attention uh and who was cutting he, his arms which they, one the gunman uh he learned oh, it apparently no, he did he was according a to this yeah according to this he learned it from a former girlfriend who <sighs> did it as well wow Boy, that is a... He ran around with a crazy crowd, too. He was described as a deeply troubled young man He who had endured significant loss, and this was a statement by the sheriff. Um, both of his uh, adoptive parents had died, his mother just three months ago, and he's described as someone by the sheriff's office who fell between the cracks. Now, amazingly, despite all these calls to authorities, uh, Nicholas Cruz was never actually arrested 
and was basically cleared as being no threat to anyone uh, nor himself. That's one, and, and that was from a therapist who actually was at the scene uh, in a, a police report September 28th, 2016. So about a year and four or five months ago? Right, or okay. so. Okay. In, in the state of Florida, people can place, as you mentioned, someone under the psychiatric uh, observation of professionals if they appear to be a danger to themselves or others. And that legislation is called what you, uh, what you call it, the Baker Act. Right. And the amazing thing is that therapists that were actually called, apparently therapists were actually called to the scene of one of these uh, incidents and concluded there was no signs of mental illness or criminal activity. Wow. So therefore, Cruz was never even arrested until uh, Valentine's Day, until the day of his shooting. Which was also Ash Wednesday. Yeah, shooting event. Right, right, exactly. Uh, He walked into... Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which, by the way, is just a few miles from where we are right, right now. now. And all of our kids, all, all of your three kids and my two kids, all went to Broward County Schools. I went to a Broward County School, um, middle school and high school. That's right. I mean, I, it's just horrifying. It's horrifying pretty... to think it happens anywhere at all. He, I don't want to say just because it happened here, but it, it's horrifying to think anywhere, honestly. Well, he planned this out pretty well. He had a gas mask. He had smoke grenades. <sighs> he had multiple magazines of ammunition and uh, for his AR-15, and he fired uh, as he went in. He tripped the alarm, fire alarm to make sure that everybody would walk out into the halls where he would have a nice clear oh shot at him and started throwing smoke grenades and started shooting people. And... The amazing thing about all this is that his former classmates in the past had expressed their concern about him, fear of him, as a matter of fact, and considered him one of those guys that was most likely to have a troubled future. One 17-year-old even told the local newspaper that, quote, I think everyone had in their minds if anyone was going to do something like this, it was going to be him. No, that, that, that wasn't just on the newspaper. I have seen that kid... Say those words on, on TV. Yes, on yeah. television several times. They've showed that clip wow. of that kid saying it. Goes, yeah, we used to joke around that if it was going to be a school shooter, it was going to be him. So this is not a surprise to anybody in that school who knew who this kid was, that he did this. And I'm sure these kids reported to others that this could happen. I mean, I've seen that there have been reports. I'm sure you're going to go over the YouTube thing. But police officers, FBI, teachers, uh, the people he was living with, including his mother who died three months ago. She only died three months ago. Before that, there were all these 911 calls. She knew what was going on, that he wasn't stable. She probably wasn't able to lives, handle it. She probably was an older old I get lady it. who wasn't able to I handle it. I get it. You call the cops and you say... I can't handle him. He has to go. You have to take him somewhere. And then the police officers have to decide where to put him. And someone needs to evaluate him. If a mom says, my child is crazy, look, he's cutting himself. All she had to do was pull up the shirt and show them. That's clearly a sign of, of mental distress. Yes. There's some mental illness at that point, whether it's temporary, because people can 
get through mental illness, I believe, in certain cases. Others don't. Others don't get through it, and they need serious medication and sometimes long-term hospitalization. I'm glad you mentioned that because Cruz and his brother both suffered from mental health issues and took medication. Ugh. So these are kids that were oh my supposedly gosh. on medication. I don't know if they were on their medication at the time of so, the shooting. Then you know what I want to know? Who were their, um, not psychologists, psychiatrists? Because you can't be put on this medicine without a psychiatrist. Whoever his psychiatrist needs to be questioned. I think you're absolutely right. Medication was not working. Well, the legal team that's going to defend them is looking into an evaluation for autism. Oh, can you and imagine? Obviously, They're going to have a field day with all these reports. All of this is clearly going to be one of he's those gonna claim insanity defenses. Insanity. He's going to claim he's not responsible. And with all these reports of him writing on YouTube and the kids saying that we knew it was going to be him and reports and 911 calls... All this evidence and also being already on medication. Right. Get it. He's there's no way he's not going to have the insanity. He had also no sought, way. he had also sought treatment at local med- mental health clinics. Had once attended a school for kids with behavioral problems. And despite all these issues, oh. Cruz was still able to legally purchase the AR-15 he used in the mass shooting. Uh, the teenager. Uh. Apparently owned the gun for a period for a while now. Uh, he moved in uh, with his family's friend, a friend's family, around Thanksgiving soon after his mother died. And they let him keep those guns, guns in a gun case, and he had the key. You've got a disturbed child whose mother just passed away. It was his second parent who's now orphaned, who's been kicked out of school. He's on medication for mental illness. He's cutting himself. And they let him keep the guns in a gun case, and he has the key. I'm sorry. I would have called the cops and said, police officers, and said, I have taken in a child. He's not stable. He has major issues. He's even been kicked out of his high school. Mm. And he has guns, and I want you to come take them. He cannot have these guns. And if they don't take them, then you know what? You take them away from him, and you go deposit them at the police station, and you put them up on the counter, and you say, I have a mentally ill 19-year-old living with me. These are his guns. Please take them. There's no way they're going to go back to the house and return them to that kid. There'll at least be an investigation and, and maybe a hospitalization. I mean, makes sense. Or, or I don't care. Go put him in the swamp of Everglades. Parkland is right on the edge of Everglades. You get on a little road, you go on a dirt road, and you go to some canal, and you just throw, throw them all in the bottom of the canal. And you go back home, and you tell the kid, "I'm sorry, I have no idea what happened to your guns. Maybe someone stole them. I don't know." And you also report to the state of Florida to put some sort of tag on his name so when they do a background check, if he goes to attempt to buy another gun, that at least there's some report from these people he's living with that they need to look into this more. And and he is mentally ill and he is on medicine and you probably shouldn't sell him a gun. There's got to be some reporting system for that. I mean... Take them away. I can't believe they let him lock him up and give him a key. 
I don't want to blame anybody because there's really about, you know, 50 people probably involved, if not more people involved that could have intervened, teachers, police officers who showed up for 911 calls. The FBI dropped the ball when somebody reported the YouTube that said the actual spelling of his name. And said he was going to be a professional school shooter. Going to be a professional school shooter. Oh, we can't investigate this. Really? Somebody says that, but you can't. We don't know who he is. I'm sorry. Did he say his name was, I don't know, Mickey Mouse? No, he actually wrote his name. I'm sure if you had contacted YouTube, they would have provided any information, an IP address that they could track down something. Yep. Some way to find out whose account, because he had to open an account to get his name into YouTube, which means you probably have to have an email address. You look up the email address. You f- there, there are ways to hunt these things down. You just have to think about them. And you not you don't have to say, oh, well, we don't know. So I'm just going to throw this into the trash. There's so many people that just one of those people could have changed the course of this situation. There's not one. There's really just not one. There are so many, including his psychiatrist. Where was he in all, or she in all of this? How much monitoring was going on with this crazy person? Well, these people actually may choose to see a psychiatrist, but then not follow up with them. And that's something that, yes, of course, drives people get, crazy, drives I, doctors crazy. I get it, yes, and that did happen to us. But I will tell you this. If you need a refill on medicine, you have to go see the doctor. Right. So there's only a certain amount of medicine that he could get refilled. And I'm sure psychiatrists don't write one-year refills. There's no way. Right. Well, I mean, if they right. do, I'm sorry, that... That's, That's crazy, yeah. and you should write small amounts of refills so that the person has to come back to get refills, and they actually yeah. have a visit, and you talk to them, and you find out what's new in their lives. Oh, your mom just passed away? Let's talk about that. Are you feeling more anger issues, more whatever it was that, that they discussed? You look into it. Do you feel like you want to harm yourself? Do you feel like you want to harm others? Maybe he would have said yes to that psychiatrist if there was a trust situation there. And that person could have put Baker acted him and gotten further evaluations and maybe counseling, different medicine, some long-term hospitalization could have at least put this kid in not crazy town because he was he was partying in crazy town. I get it. And you know what? We have to figure out whether we really can do anything about these shootings. Uh, of course, some people would like to ban all guns. We've seen that all up and down the uh, Internet and, the, of course, on TV. I mean, maybe even confiscate them. And others say, sure, when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. Right. But the recent shootings that we have, I mean, they're just in a bunch of diverse settings and concert venues and Las Vegas and Manchester, England. Um, churches in Texas and Tennessee, uh, it's South Carolina, illness. other me- public venues, it's schools. It's mental illness. Right? It is always mental illness. Normal, healthy, human being brains do not want to kill other people. You have to have something wrong with you. Something happened to you, or there's some chemical imbalance, or you're just... You just have issues. 
Okay. Right. Normal people, healthy people, do not want to kill other people. They don't want to kill animals for torture, which is apparently what I, another thing that I heard that he was reportedly doing. No mutilating boy. or dissecting animals. Oh my God. That is a sign of mental illness. If your child is cutting up frogs and killing mice and cats or dogs or squirrels just for fun, not for eating. We're not talking about hunting. Okay, folks, I'm not dissing hunting. I'm talking about just, you know, just to cut them open or cut them into pieces. Just to There's enjoy something wrong. You need to seek mental help for that person. He was doing that. There's so many signs that something was wrong with his brain and his chemical balance. But anyway, the fact is people kill, not the guns. And so all this gun control talk drives me personally crazy. I understand background checks. Yes, we need that for everything. Even in gun shows, there's this loop that needs to be closed. We need good background checks for everybody. But the big thing we have to understand is we have failed the mentally ill in this country, and we have failed them big time. They end up on the streets. They end up homeless. They end up orphaned. They end, they up, end up shooting neglected, people. And they end up and shooting And they get people. angry, and you don't want to put anger with a crazy person because anger in a crazy person stimulates extremely violent bad behavior. And the problem is, is that they've been watching TV and they've seen all these other Shooting incidents that are that they are, get ideas right. These shooting incidents that are quote unquote successful, in other right. words, in achieving the goal of creating right. mass casualties, right. and this is something that is, I guess, an, an encouragement, and it and it serves as a blueprint for them. So it gives them an idea of what they should be doing. I mean, look at all these vehicular terror attacks, you know, that we've seen in Europe and places like that just seems to be a simple way to go ahead and, and make a lot of casualties. Now, mass shootings, that you know, most of the time, everybody that I talk to about mass shootings, they look at me as and just think it's never going to happen in my hometown. Well, well sure because enough, we have the normalcy bias, and when we wake up, our same routine that we had yesterday is going to happen today. We're going to get coffee. We're going to take a shower. We're going to put on our favorite shoes. We're going to go, you know, to work or or meet a friend for lunch. Your day is routine, and in our minds, we don't we don't anticipate the second we wake up all the horrible things in the world that can possibly happen to us. An earthquake today. There's going to be a tornado. Maybe there's going to be a lightning strike, and I'll get hit. Maybe my car will crash, uh, my roof will fall in, my right. washing machine will start leaking and, everywhere. And we you have to agree these are it. these are low level, you know, low probability right. occurrences, and yeah. so are shootings. But it really can happen, guys. I mean, we are just a few miles away from Ugh. this that happened. Also, there was a, a shooting at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. That's about oh my 15 miles away from that us. That was one week after we were in that airport at the same luggage There's carousel. Carousel, right. right. The same one. And so these that things flight. do happen. Do not oh. think that you are immune or your area is immune from this kind of craziness. But There's the, just no place that's safe for people. You're right. People. But the problem is 
where do you live in your world? Do you live in a, I fear everything, everything could happen? Or do you live in a, nothing can happen? And we all need to find a place in between Somewhere those two between, extremes yeah. that makes us comfortable. Some people are more comfortable. I'm more comfortable with a little more heightened awareness. Right. I'm okay. It's a new normal, so we I, need but to my, be But aware. my whole life I have been okay thinking about bad things that could happen. When I was a child, you know, it was a big thing about kids being snatched in the 70s. You know, and don't talk to strangers. That was the first era when they were really doing the don't talk to strangers. I don't think they told kids in the 60s, you know, be paranoid of strangers. So we were the, you know, stranger danger group. Um, So I used to think, and, you know, my dad would even encourage us to talk about it with him, what would me and my little brother, who was this skinny little kid, do if somebody was trying to take us and we talk about, you know, kicking them in the shins or stepping on their foot, uh, you know, or punching them in a in their sensitive areas, you know, things that we could possibly do as little kids and screaming, um, you know, for help and saying this is not my parent. This person's trying to take me. And to, to go through that, it didn't upset me as a child. It actually made me personally feel more comfortable that I had a plan. So I always knew, I always felt confident, even though I was, you know, a little girl, that if somebody tried to take me, that I had a plan. And it gave me a sense of, you know, again, confidence. confidence, And I felt comfortable. I went to sleep at night not worrying about that because I had a plan. Some people don't want to go there. They don't even want to think about the the possibility of it happening, let alone most figure out a plan because it makes them feel nervous. It makes them feel sad or worried. And so their comfort level goes closer to the everything will always be okay every single day level. And, you know, you have to be somewhere in between. Total paranoia that every possible bad thing's going to happen to you every second of the day that's not good. You you can't go to sleep. You're you have anxiety. You're paranoid. You think everyone's out to get you. You know that that is mental illness. Total paranoia. Right. So everyone has to find their comfort zone. The more you can get close to the what if so and so happens. Well, what are we going to do? You know, if we talk about what if we have a water leak in the house, where's the water main? Do we know how to turn it off? It doesn't mean I think the house is going to flood every five seconds, but we have talked about it and we have a plan. So having a plan for different things, when we sit in theaters, you and I always look, where's the exits? Where are we going to sit that we have pretty easy access um, out of the theater? But also, where's our comfort zone in watching the movie without hurting our necks? (laughs) If you sit too close, you have to balance the comfort happiness with the okay what if something happens uh, where where and how fast can we get out of the situation so you know everyone just has to find their comfort zone well until we have an, a culture of situational awareness we are going to have soft targets and these shooters are getting really good at identifying the soft <sighs> targets and it's leading That's to a horrible thing you it, have it, to say it leads it's leading to you know all these pretty impressive numbers of deaths and injuries from these these attacks. 
I mean, well, they figured a, out a the terrorists could, have figured out how to drive trucks into sidewalks full of people. Right. Sure. Absolutely. But people aren't going to stop walking on sidewalks. And this kid here activating fire alarm to make sure that everybody's going to be in the hall and where he can happens? shoot at him. Every high school. You know, tossing every, smoke bombs to create confusion. Every school has fire drills. And what are kids taught to do during those fire drills? You get up from your desk, you leave all your belongings behind, and you go into the hall and you exit. And they have practiced this, and they practice this on a regular basis. So these kids heard the fire drill, and they got up from their desk, and they all went into the hall. I mean, it was... uh, You know, people with bad intentions... Horrible. ...are that much better at creating mayhem... I mean, it just stands to reason that our society has to get better at thwarting those types of intentions. And I've been thinking about some ways that, at least in my opinion, would mm-hmm. decrease the number of shooter incidents and maybe the number of deaths that are caused by them. And one, of course, is to improve security in areas at risk. There is like a security guard at this high school. He was there. and you, I have A to, security guard. I understand that. But That's you know not what? enough. It's but a whole high school. I get it. But you know what? They had that security guard because it's a rich area. Mm-hmm. And when I say rich, I don't mean filthy rich. I just mean good, right. good amount of taxes, mm-hmm. upper middle class houses, some, some you know, over million dollar houses. That's the area that got targeted. They have enough taxes to afford to have a, an armed, apparently, security guard there. Most communities in this country cannot afford that their city police departments can barely hire new folks or having to cut back on on equipment for them on supplies they can't even afford to have little trauma kits for these police officers let alone stick somebody in a high school so you know they actually had one unfortunately it costs money. He, well, no, it, it, I yes, it definitely costs money. But unfortunately for that particular high school, the, the security guard was not in the location of the shooter. Right. Well, I mean, a high a school, school can be a pretty big school. It's a big yeah. school. He was elsewhere. You can't be everywhere at once. That's why I think that I we mean, have to have, you have to have a team of people. But they can't uh, afford it is Well, the I mean, maybe, you know... Uh, Better protections at malls may be just a matter of hiring more trained personnel, and, and they may have the money. But if you're in a school or in a church and you don't have the money for enough paid per professional personnel, right. well, establishing and training a safety team for your school. I mean, there's a PTA, right? You might I, want to I have I tell you a, what, you're right. You're absolutely right, and you're, you're right. And you may want to have a volunteer team. And, and my thought right now, and I have, I'm just going to say it and then let you keep going, is that I doubt that there would be any group of teachers, not teachers, parents, in any school anywhere that if asked would not be able to come up with a group of people who would be willing to even just not Stand carry around. a gun. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I know, yeah. and I'm saying... I'm, I don't want people to say I'm trying to arm parents to go, you know, stand outside of school with, you know, some big giant guns. But I believe that if asked by the school district for volunteers, parent volunteers, that there would probably be groups of people who would be willing to give up a half a day or a day once a week. Maybe somebody, you know, was lucky enough to be an at-home parent 
or somebody works from home and they can have a more flexible schedule. But you could probably find, you know, groups of rotating parents that would be willing to give up their time just to, you know, kind of walk around. Yeah, patrol the areas around the entrances to the school. For free. That's right. I, you know, as a parent, I, 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 you know, if somebody asked me, I, I would have made sure I could put in my, you know, four hours a week. I'd take a half day off or work my schedule around it, you know, just to help out. And I, I think you'd find plenty of parents willing to do it. They have not been asked to do it, and I'm sure they're, like, not allowed to do it. You know, you when you go to the school, I know at least my well, kid's school, think, you had to go through the office to sign in and tell them why you're there and then sit quietly in the office while your child was brought to you. God forbid right. you walk to your child's classroom. I never met any of the teachers unless there was a, a scheduled meeting. I was not allowed to just pop into the classroom like my parents used well, to do. Well, I mean, if, if you had a few people that were volunteers that would just stand around where the entrances to the schools. That have had some training. They had a, a training program. Right, right. Not, for don't have to be armed. Awareness. Basically, all they need is a phone. Yes, but also training for situational awareness. Right. What are some things to look for that might be out of the ordinary for you to report? You don't have to do anything. We're not asking you to put yourself in harm's way. But what do you need to report to get on your phone to to call 911 or to call the principal to ask them to come check on something. Some criteria that they would follow that isn't going to interfere in the day-to-day business at school, but will make everyone feel a little bit safer. Right. That would be great. Also, train them in first aid, first aid for bleeding wounds. Great idea. Things like that. Great idea. That would be useful. Teach them how to use a tourniquet and how to use some of the medical supplies that help stop bleeding wounds. And, you know, I mean, we have volunteer fire departments. Why not volunteer school safety departments? You're 100% right, So that's that's what I think with regards to that. Absolutely. We just have to instill that cultural awareness it's still a culture of situational awareness in our society. I mean, it's just being calm, relaxed, but observant. And if we can do that, we can identify the anomalies, people that might look unusually nervous, people that might not be dressed appropriately for the weather. It's summertime and somebody's wearing an overcoat, which may hide a gun or a rifle or something like that. People that are fidgety, people that are looking around them as as if they're casing out a joint. That's you know? right. There are criteria that they have You're right. exactly. when training for situational awareness. Right. What check out for. our check out our articles. Just go to the website, use the search engine at doomandbloom.net and you can see some of our situational awareness articles. Also at americansurvival.com we have that too. Um, you have to teach our citizens also to avoid the natural paralysis that occurs in some of these unexpected events. Mm-hmm. I mean, this paralysis occurs as a result of what you said before, normalcy bias and yep. the tendency to discount risk because most days proceed in a certain standard manner. And so today is going to be the same, but it's not always that way. If we can teach simple courses of action such as the uh, run, hide, and fight triad that the Department of Homeland Security teaches works for some situations, not all, but but still 
good to know it. The decision-making process might be a little more intuitive. You might be able to more rapidly implement it instead of just sort of being paralyzed. Right. Like a lot of, I'm sure a lot of these kids were just looking like deer in the headlights some of them, at this guy that was going to shoot. It's funny. Not all. It's obviously. funny that some of the kids that were interviewed said it sounded like firecrackers. Right. But some of the kids said it sounded like gunshot. So the kids that said it sounded like gunshots probably have parents that are in law enforcement or have been taken to gun ranges to and taught gun safety. Right, and this is or so maybe they've much, handled them themselves. Right. They uh, they got it, but the kids that have never heard gunshots themselves thought it was firecrackers. Right. I'm not saying you need to haul all your kids out to, you know gun ranges and and get them some shooting but maybe you can go visit well, we, maybe ha- you we can have just an outdoor me. range where the police go or practice. just say look if it's something sounds like a firecracker or some sounds like a tire blowing out and just assume it's a gunshot and just w- run the opposite direction you may feel silly when it turns out it is a firecracker but who brings but firecrackers you, to school anymore really i, mean, I don't know like I, a, is that a thing i don't think it's a thing <laughs> I think that was a thing, like, in the late 70s and early 80s, every once in a while, there would be some firecrackers set up. I don't think that's a, a thing anymore. They well, get in big trouble if they set... They would. They get... they These kids get in big trouble for that. So, I don't think there's firecrackers anymore. But we need to tell these kids, if you hear something that sounds like a firecracker, it's not a firecracker. If it's in a school, assume it's a gunshot until proven otherwise. Right. These kids are assuming it's a lesser thing until proven otherwise. And we need to change that thought. We need to say, assume it's a gunshot, take cover, do what you're told, your instructions. These kids have had drills, by the way. These kids knew what they were supposed to do. They, They were smart. The kids that weren't just targets in the hallway who were able to get back in the classrooms... They they did exactly what they were supposed to, and I believe that's why there were less deaths than he could have. Think about there was over three thousand kids. Right. Nobody was challenging him. The police were not in there having a gun battle with him. He just chose to leave. And and leave the school grounds. Right. So well, well if the kids did the right thing, so it's possible did the things they were supposed to do. If they eventually did, they got we, out. Right, and if we ingrained that at an early age, at a young age, and it, it, you will more effectively teach this process. And we also need to teach people not only that, uh, uh, students, not only the run-hide-fight scenario, but we have to teach them simple first-aid strategies to stop bleeding. I, I, the, the most likely cause of death in these scenarios is because people bleed out. And rapid action by bystanders is thought to decrease the number of deaths from hemorrhage. So we need to add reduce hemorrhage to reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yep. And just make it part of the school curriculum. Yeah, if it's just one day of teaching them how to do that, I mean, at least it gives them an idea of what they need to do. Maybe show them pictures of bleeding wounds so that people are not uh, paralyzed by just the sight of blood itself. Yep. I think that would be good. And I... I if we make it part of the school curriculum, I think lives might be saved. So I think that is something that's very important. Yep. Now, one thing we you talked about earlier is we have to identify people, persons of interest, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. 
through social media. Okay, many of these active shooters are very vocal about their intentions, like this guy was. And you might be concerned out there, of course, about Big Brother monitoring our public conversations on Facebook and other sites. But they are public conversations. They're doing it anyway. They're public conversations, yes, and they're doing it anyway. You know, so the truth of the matter Don't is. Don't be surprised about right. it. You have to answer this question. How many deaths are you willing to accept in your community because you're not vigilant about what people are saying on social media? And if you're on social media and you're seek and, and you hear or you or read some really crazy thing, report it. Report it to Facebook, report it to YouTube, report it to whoever it is that you know, the, the, every one of these social media sites has a, a type of way to report abnormal posts or, or abusive posts. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you do that. He, this guy was on Instagram showing guns and things like that. So, you know, the, if people had called this guy out on Instagram, you know, to and, and basically told the Instagram people, hey, watch out for this guy. Well, I think that there might have been a, a chance that they might have stopped him. Now, I mean, I understand that if we are really tough on monitoring public conversation, it's going to drive some of these gunmen or potential gunmen underground, but it might identify some of them in time to abort their mission. And so I think that each municipality should set a mechanism and a trigger and a trigger point for authorities to apprehend and interrogate suspicious characters. That's I think right. that's important and I and I hope that our social media or you know popular social media outlets uh, Facebook and Instagram all those and Snapchat have ways in which they can notify the authorities. I assume that they do because I that's think That's a good question. It would be very li- they would have a lot of liability if they didn't. And I'm not sh- I, I'm not sure I've heard of those companies themselves reporting anything. Well, it's something that should be done if it's not. So that's another thing. Uh, the last thing I think we should do is provide first aid kits in public venues that can be accessed by people at the scene. I mean, your bleeding kits are great with some of these supplies. A Good Samaritan would be more likely to save a life. And these kits, I think, of yours are going to be fixtures on the wall next to the fire extinguishers in a lot of public places. Despite all the stuff that we're talking about, our response as a nation has been to do very little to correct this problem. And I say that that era has to end. Let's stop being soft targets. We have to forsake the notion that shootings are just part and parcel of the new normal. And we have to begin the process by which we change our attitude and our level of vigilance, not in isolated cases, but as a society to combat this problem. Hey, we like to support other podcasts, and one of the most worthy is our friend Jack Spierko's Survival Podcast, one of the most popular podcasts on the internet, now with 2,000 episodes and still going strong. Jack appointed us to his expert counsel from a medical standpoint, and we get letters regarding various medical issues from some of his and, of course, our own listeners. This one is about a problem that many people have, especially after trauma or just from old age, and that is the frozen shoulder. Here's the question and my response to someone suffering from a condition that affects a lot more people than you'd think. Today's question for the expert counsel is from Bob who writes, 
I've been suffering from locked shoulder and bursitis for almost two years. Most days it's tolerable, but sometimes it's worse with a complete lockup of my right shoulder frequently. I'm a senior software engineer by trade and use my right hand to use the mouse 10 to 12 hours a day Wow, during the week. I've had the cortisone shots into the joint when it totally locks up, done the physical therapy, and it only lessens the lockup but never gives full motion back. What's pushed me to really get this done with now is that I've lost 120 pounds in the past year on purpose and want to start going to the gym regularly. Good for you, Bob. Also, our kids have all graduated or are leaving the house. My wife and I now have to do more of the work on our farm and nursery business. So not being able to reach any higher than shoulder height is problematic, something that became painfully clear when trying to get things back together after Hurricane Irma. I currently take and cook with turmeric regularly, but only use ibuprofen when it's really severe. I have a pretty high tolerance for pain. Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks, Bob D. in Florida. Bob, it sounds as if you have what they call a frozen shoulder. Frozen shoulder is a condition that usually involves pain and stiffness that develops gradually, gets worse, and in some cases finally goes away. This could take anywhere from a year to three years, and this can be different from certain orthopedic injuries, by the way, like a torn rotator cuff and others. Your shoulder is made up of three bones that form a ball and socket. These are your upper arm, your humerus, the shoulder blade, the scapula, and the collarbone, the clavicle. These are all held together by connective tissue called the shoulder capsule. And with frozen shoulder, the capsule becomes so thick and tight that it's hard to move. Bands of scar tissue form, and worse, there's less of a liquid called synovial fluid, joint fluid, basically, to keep the joint lubricated. This all causes the pain and stiffness you're experiencing, Bob. Usually the pain is dull and achy, but sometimes uh, you'll find that it's a little more severe and it could be worse at night. And some people feel that this all goes in a certain pattern involving three stages. First is the freezing stage. You develop pain in your shoulder anytime you move it, and it slowly gets worse over time, lasts for months, and hurts sometimes more at night. This is what happened to me with the shoulder injury I had. You're lim limited, of course, in how far you can move your shoulder without pain. Now, then there's the frozen stage. In the frozen stage, your pain might get better, but the stiffness gets worse. Moving your shoulder becomes more difficult. It becomes harder to get through daily activities, and this stage could last a good long time, more than a year. Now, some people then go through a thawing stage. Now, that's some people, in which your range of motion starts to go back to normal, that can take anywhere from six months to three years. Honestly, between you and I, it may never happen at all. I have an old shoulder injury that affects my range of motion, and it gets better and worse in phases, but never, ever goes back completely to the way I was when I was 20. Of course, what does, right? <laughs> well, it's not clear why some people develop this issue more than others, but you're more likely to get it if you're between the ages of 40 and 60. Your risk also goes up if you're in the process of recovering from, let's say, a stroke or maybe a surgical procedure like a mastectomy that keeps you from moving your arm. It also seems to happen more often if you have chronic medical problems, diabetes, heart disease, Parkinson's, thyroid problems, things like that. Over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, like the ones you're taking, can help relieve the pain and inflammation in your shoulder. Often, however, they're not enough and you need injections of steroids and physical therapy. Another method of dealing with the problem is what we call joint distension. 
This means your doctor will inject sterile water into your shoulder capsule in an effort to stretch it out, and this can help you move your shoulder more easily, possibly. In the end, some people opt for surgical repair. This is rarely necessary in terms of your, your life or your, or your lifespan or anything like that, but it may improve your quality of life. These days, this kind of procedure is an arthroscopic procedure. That's mean it's done with uh, little tiny tools that are inserted through cuts in your shoulder, very small cuts. From a natural remedy standpoint, I think you're doing the right thing, but maybe you should add some arnica, which might help the discomfort somewhat. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, do an old man, me, and your family a big favor by getting more medically prepared with kits and supplies from Nurse Amy's entire line at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Survival Medicine, The Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, and Amy Alton, ARMP, also known as Nurse Amy. We hope you listen in next week when we'll be talking about a lot of other exciting survival medicine topics. See you next time.